Before we get into today's episode of the podcast, I want to tell you about a product I've been using frequently and a product that is used by professional running team Tin Man Elite and teams in the NFL, NBA, and NCAA. The product is called 2 Before and it is made from the incredible benefits of black currants. If you guys are unfamiliar with black currants, they're antioxidant berries that are grown in New Zealand. The two biggest benefits, in my opinion, from consuming them regularly and using this product 2 Before is it increases your endurance as well well as kickstarts your recovery. So during sessions, I feel stronger, my endurance feels improved, but also after the workout, I feel more recovered, less sore, less tired, so that I can hit the next training session harder than I normally would be able to. I absolutely love to before I love this product. Perhaps my favorite study uh, that I've seen shows that using two before consistently can improve athletic performance by 4.6%, which is truly remarkable. And it's made from three simple ingredients, so there's no junk in it. You guys can get 30% off your order today at two before, that is the number two before.com, using my code the running effect 30. Again, that is the running effect 30. Not only does this get you 30% off, but it also gets you free shipping. I've left a link in the show notes to go directly to their website, or you guys can go to twobefore.com. Again, that is the running effect 30 to get 30% off and free shipping today. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Schleter, and today's episode is a little bit off the beaten track. No NCAA champion, no Olympian. I have the great privilege of speaking with the one and only Dan Churchill. For those who aren't familiar, Dan is a highly accomplished Australian chef, author, and entrepreneur, renowned for his unwavering dedication to promoting healthy and nutritious cooking. Dan is also a big runner and has competed in many marathons before. Again, today's conversation is a little more unique than most of mine, and a lot of times those are my favorite conversations. I loved getting to talk with Dan and learn from all of his excellence and success in many different avenues of his life thus far. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as we did having it. Please give us a follow, a five-star review, share it with a friend, all that fun stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. So without further ado, let's get into today's conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Dan Churchill. Dan Churchill, an absolute pleasure to welcome you on to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this morning? Hey, Dom. Dude, uh, I'm great, man. Had a nice little morning routine, checked, and now I have the pleasure of talking to you, dude. So you said morning routine there. There we go. We're about to get into a rabbit hole. Why is that routine important for you? <laughs> Uh, dude, I, I'm, I'm so big into, um, an unselfish self situation. What I mean by that is that making sure you look after you before you look after people around you. And that's not a selfish thing because ultimately if you look after yourself, you can perform at your best for those people. So one of those things is, um, with me, I get up and I just love having you know, coffee and sitting with Maverick, my dog, um, having relaxing chill time, you know, reading, I love reading. So reading a lot, getting some exercise in, um, and then some sort of, um, you know, I would say movement. So I'm obviously I've talked about before a lot about like mindfulness uh, with other podcasts and what we do at Center. But yeah, essentially I would, I would definitely do some reading, uh, definitely some movement, and then some mindfulness. And then generally the day started, man. Yeah. So oh, obviously you've got to eat too. So <laughs> and meals, that's got to happen. So many, many people would say Dan Churchill is a runner, he's an author, he's a restaurant owner, he's an entrepreneur, he's a content creator, he's all these different titles, but how would you describe Dan Churchill in a word or two? I'm a chef, yeah. I'm a chef who happens to run far distances um, and then you know, owns businesses. So I think, I think like 
you know, it's really funny you say that because like identity is a big thing. I always uh, really trying to establish with people like, you know, like yourself, or anyone listening in. It's like if you can establish the fact that everyone does have an identity, whether or not they have a lot of followers or if whatever they do for a living, whatever they do, their identity, their brand identity, their personal brand is something that is something they should always um, be conscious of. And so for me, I first and foremost love being a chef. I really do. I love I love everything about it. <clears throat> and I think it's a really good connection for me to have with people around me in terms of the impacts I want to have. It's connected to me helping rescue food. It's for me helping like uh, feed those in need, which are two big impact things that I, I definitely strive towards. At the same time, it also um, my, my athletic side is like a hobby that's become still part of my profession. But I, I use my nutrition from being a chef to understand the best way to perform. So first and foremost, chef, man. And then that allows me to do my content, my businesses, um, yeah, underlying all that. So yeah, best way to submit is definitely chef or performance chef, whatever you prefer. Speaking of you becoming a chef, it's June 16th mm. and June 18th is Father's Day. And I think it's kind of interesting you brought that up. It's a kind of good bridging point because your dad actually taught you to cook when you were 11. I think he included you and your two other brothers kind of implementing you guys into the cooking schedule at home. So could you take me through some of those stories and also just what your dad has meant to you over the years as you've kind of, you know, explored many avenues in life and been successful in them. But a lot of that wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for him uh, teaching you how to cook at 11. Yeah, dude. Uh, So first and foremost, happy Father's Day to all you awesome dads out there. I've got a puppy named Maverick and I'm his bro and also his dad. So if you're just a puppy dad, then you're also getting a Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to you legends too. Yeah, so, you know, bringing on the story, around the age of 11 years old, uh, my dad realized that my two brothers and I had a had some, uh, some sort of fondness of watching these cooking shows on TV. And dad's always a bit of a forward thinker with development. And so he, he really, through our learnings of like, you know, life skills, a lot of them come down to dad. You know, he, for example, before we had, you know, GPS on our phones, there was this thing called a TomTom, whatever it's called. And then before that, you actually had a street directory. So um, dad taught us how to, or he forced us rather, every week, every weekend we went to rugby, we would have to drive, not drive, we'd have to direct the traffic. And we had to learn how to you know, read this map. And it's on a basic level, you're just following a, a couple of lines to your destination. But what dad taught us was the, how many, to, to look out for how many stops before the street you're turning on. Key things to, you know, outline to the person driving you. Um, features of, you know, communication, how clear you have to be the person's driving to like get them into another lane. And these are all foundations of who my dad is. And so if you put that into food, <clears throat> he was never like someone who, he was never a big, big chef. He loved like getting newspaper clippings from, um, you know, the recipe, recipes from newspaper clippings and like, you know, applying them. But he was never like, never big on presentation. He'd do that, you know, uh, he loved, loved to cook himself creatively. He never per se taught me over my shoulder techniques in cooking. Um, but what he did do is he encouraged us to learn life skills. So one day after seeing this fondness of us and, and you know, watching TV shows of cooking, he wanted to find a way that would encourage us to do this at a young age so that by the time we were leaving school, leaving your home, we, we were very, 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 very committed to knowing how to cook ourselves. So he created a roster uh, and between my two brothers and I, we took it in turns throughout the week to cook for the family, um, which is a pretty amazing experience because, you know, like you're learning, not only you're learning like obviously the recipe itself and how to follow something along 
to intent, like understanding comprehension, which is actually not my strong suit. I'm really bad at comprehension. But then you understand like shopping and, you know, value of like what ingredient costs and like how you can use it multiple ways. So, and not like at the age of 11, I wasn't looking at that, but over time you start to really understand it. So um, I had a real fondness for creativity. And so even today, if it's not food related, I do love working with my hands. So I love that. But, you know, that all started with like, you know, dough and bread and like pizza and like, um, you know, all, getting my hands dirty. I love it. So over a period of time, I learned how to cook through um, just applying this roster technique. And I, I honestly, I, I started taking extra days. And when my brothers were busy, I'm like, I was the first one to say, hey, I'll, I'll cook this night. And so over time, I, I loved it. Um, and that transpired into eventually um, after doing a master's degree in exercise science and seeing um, a, a connection between myself, nutrition and athletes, I used my cooking techniques to relate to them, how they can apply it. And then Ipso facto, created some books and uh, needed to jump into the kitchen. So then I pursued a, a professional cooking career. Did it become apparent pretty like soon after you guys started that, that you were the best chef out of the, out of the brothers? Or did it take a little bit to, to figure out that like, hey, you know, I can be really good at this thing? The, the brotherly answer would be absolutely, like hands down. The humble answer, at that age, we all couldn't cook. Like, and I mean the sense that biscuits were coming out terrible, uh, food wasn't that good, um, but like mum and dad were just encouraging us and being you know, super supportive. And, um, and yeah, so like I think with that in mind, over time, because I did commit myself more to it, I definitely became... I think like the more more reps you get in or anything, you're gonna definitely get to a position where you're you're, you're doing more, I guess, yeah, better techniques and cooking than, than people around you. Um, and that's what happened. Like my brothers still love to cook, but I, you know, because I do it so often and I, I really love it, they uh, they probably just kind of fell behind a little bit. But they're still amazing, you know, home cooks in their own right. Um, but yeah, back to your other thing about about dad. Dad's a very interesting character in my life, and he's a you know, someone I locked horns with growing up a lot. So my brothers kind of let a lot of things go through to the catcher with dad, like what he would do. And I was the kind of person who was like, no, I'm going to let that one slide. Um, <clears throat> but he's always been, he's always been, I, I, I think this is a really good one for a lot of young guys to hear. It's like, you, you know, your, your dad and even your mom, like just depending on their personality traits and type and there's different ways they give you love. And it took me maturity to understand that. So a lot of things I, I learned to date in the discipline and business, I wouldn't say like dad was ever over my shoulder teaching me stuff, but he, he allowed us to learn, make mistakes. And he's always guiding us in a certain right. Um, and his form of love was not like mum's. Mum's very nurturing, very hug. Like I'm, I'll give you whatever, like not whatever you need, but I'll always be there for you physically. Whereas dad was kind of the <clears throat> very strict, stern, stoic dad, right? Which I think a lot of people can relate to. What was interesting though is when it came to rugby or any training or anything, like if I need to be picked up or taken somewhere, he's the first person to say like, yeah, well, it wasn't even like, I'll, uh, it was just like, okay, we're going training this time. And, uh, you know, he, he did a lot for the family, you know, and I think love can be shown different ways. And and for dad, he's always the first one to want to give me advice, whether, whether or not, whether or not it's, um you know, I don't say right or not, but like, for example, there's times where he's like teaching me how to, you know, open a restaurant and he's never opened a restaurant before, but like, that's, that's dad's love, you know, 99% of the time he knows more stuff about life than I do. I will admit that. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's really important for you to realize that there's different types of love, particularly your parents give you. And I'm so grateful that mum, there's a balance between the both of them with mum, the, 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 the nurturing, lovable type. And dad's like, the, he's always, he's always going to be there for you if you ever ask for him. Um, and he's always the first person to drive me to things that I really care about or be there for those things. And particularly with business, I, I talk to more with dad about life in those regards than I do with mum. Um, so yeah, it's really, really awesome that, uh, it took me some time and I, and like maturity and I think people around my age now look back at like, you know, the teens and go, well, I wasn't exactly the easiest son to be, um, to a parent, but, um, you know, I'm really grateful for my parents' love. So you talked about being pretty, pretty awful at first when you were kind of getting into the, the swing of being a chef. And I think that's something that stops a lot of people from even getting started is fear of failure. And the minute they experience any sort of setback, they give up. And that goes for anything in life, whether it's running, business, cooking, you name it. Like just the the fear of failure holds them back from what they truly want in life. And they're not willing to go through those sucky periods at first to get to the other side where they're starting to see progress. So could you maybe speak to that, whether it's within cooking, running, business, whatever it might be, just how much failure holds people back and how everything you want is on the other side of failure. Yeah, dude, I mean, it's it's super apparent to cooking. I mean, let's do this exercise. Everyone listening in right now, think of like a recipe they've cooked once, you know, like they've cooked a recipe once. And whether it was successful or not, it's definitely going to be things you learn from it to make it better the next time. Most of the time, people are like, there's too many dishes. There's like, you know, there's too many things I used. I chopped and made so many mistakes. I wasted so much money, blah, right? I'm about to go do R&D at my restaurant right now, right? I'm going to have dishes everywhere. I'm going to have pots and pans everywhere. I'm going to have so many ingredients that I'm using over and over again. I'm doing that to perfect the dish to put on a menu. That's a professional environment. None of that food will go to waste. It'll all be eaten by someone. But I'm just saying comparison to the idea around, you know, cooking at home. A lot of people only cook because they're like, well, it's too hard. But you may have these dishes that you have on a routine and regular. Now, I bet those ones, you know how long it's going to take you, how simple they are, how to improve them each time. You even have like nuances where like if I leave the pan on this part of the heat and then put like, I don't know, a makeshift lid on, this will make a little steam oven. Like I've seen my friends do that. And they only cook like three different meals, but they've got their own technique to doing something because they've done it so many times. They can, you know, fold their clothes, do that, come back. It's all about getting the reps in. If you get the reps in, the more reps you get, the more you master your craft. So I think I really encourage people, and that's even around pots and pans and cleaning. I now like limit myself to cooking to a point where like I minimize my cleaning because obviously it's something we don't like doing. I, I'm... First and foremost, I love keeping things tidy. I like cleaning things, but I don't like the idea of every time I finish a meal, I have to clean, right? So <clears throat> when that happens, you get to a position going, okay, I actually don't need that second pot or I can only use one spoon here. And then all of a sudden, cleaning becomes less. So over time, with more reps, the idea behind cooking can be much more fun than people give it you know, the first impression for. So, yeah, man, uh, I think that applies to everything in life. The more you get the reps in, the quicker things become, the more you learn, the less mistakes you make, um, and, and, and the easier the path becomes. So get your reps in, whether it be cooking or whatever you're doing, running or anything you choose in life. As I just stated, I think a lot of people 
fear failure. I think there are so many other things people fear, like comparison, or you could go down the list. And there's a, a saying I came across, I want to say like two or three months ago, that what makes uh, what most people fear is what makes few people great. What are your thoughts on that saying? Yeah, so I think if I'm if I'm interpreting that the way that I would, is that I think failure can be looked at as either a learned process or it can be looked at as a negative process. Failure is going to happen every single day of your life. You may make a decision to walk one way and all of a sudden someone walks the same way and you get into that awkward shuffle, right? So you made a wrong decision. Technically, it's a failure. Maybe if you decided to actually go the same way in traffic that you would in you know, a car, next time that won't happen. And that's an example of how every single day we make decisions that would turn into success or failures. But you learn from them. And that's the thing, the mindset you have to have. And we do talk about learning from your mistakes. But how much do you actually truly think about those mistakes and learn from them? How often do you actually finish up an exercise, whether it be for work or for yourself, and actually give yourself an analysis and go, shit, I'm going to write down the things that, despite my failure, that I learned. Whether it be a podcast, whether it be a YouTube video, maybe you're a chef, maybe you're an exercise, you're in fitness, whatever it is, like how often do you actually reflect on it and go, wow? And then you can actually count be accountable. I think it's something we forget. You know, I think we forget to look at failure in the right light. And like to to date, I will continue to make mistakes. I guarantee you, I think I think the reason why I've, I've made a few wins is because I've made so many mistakes. I've thrown so many things out there that it's really given me um, an opportunity to learn, you know? So my suggestion, dude, is honestly like in this space is be okay to failure, but more importantly, be, be ready to learn from your failures because if you're not in that headspace, you shouldn't fail. Yeah. I love the kind of reframing mindset of there's no such thing as failures, only lessons. And I, I, you know, so often I view things as failures, but then when I view it the way you just said, I'm like, wow, there's so many lessons I can take from this to then go into the next opportunity. And I'm curious, was there a point in your career in any endeavor where something seemed like a massive crushing failure? But as you sit with me here today, you look back on it and you're like, oh, that was a, a big lesson rather than a failure. <laughs> Every, every day I, I could I could uh, we don't have enough time but like every day man these things happen all the time you know and I think like you know even even like some of the most most well-known people in, in successful like you know Michael Jordan talks about all the fouls he's had like how many missed shots he made you know all that kind of stuff and how he wasn't you know selected for his basketball team in high school like you got Warren Buffett talks about like this dude. There's so many prolific people who talk about failure with the right headspace. I guarantee you, they're still making mistakes today. Whether it be betting on an investment or I don't know, maybe they made a mistake in the way that they spoke to their family member, or they forgot to like communicate with someone they love, or whatever it is. Like <clears throat> we make mistakes all the time. It's so important you learn from them. This is kind of a deep question for you, but. Many, many people know your name. They've seen you on TV. They've read your books. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about Dan Churchill? Well, that's a deep question. Um, I, I, 
we battle this sometimes and uh, uh, it could be, I don't know, I think people forget that I'm actually a chef because of the content we create. You know, maybe that's a maybe that's a misconception of my level of talent as a chef. Um, the fact that I own businesses and I'm in business and, you know, I think you kind of get this, like particularly when you're in content, people take you for like a content creator, which is first and foremost an amazing skill set. There's amazing creators out there. Um, but they take you for that face value without knowing your actual story. So I think that's a misconception. I think it's a misconception that I'm such a happy go lucky guy that I'm very like personable that I haven't got that tenacious, you know, side to me. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm a very determined individual and uh, I've got very high standards and expectations to what I want to achieve. So <clears throat> we'll let the content, everything's genuine that you see. It's very me. But then there's the side of me of business that people forget. Like I've walked into board meetings when I'm like, this is earlier on, but like walked into meetings where it's like, you know, for a business idea or whatever it was, I'd be in board shorts and then the, the CEO of the company would be like, you know, when I start talking, they'd be like, oh shit. Okay. He actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so that's a misconception. So they take my, you know, I, I guess my San Diego like look for a lack of knowledge and skill, but I think that's changing for sure. Is it frustrating when you put yourself out there on social media and, you know, a human can never display all sides of themselves and, and things they want to display. Has that been hard for you kind of picking and choosing for lack of a better word, what to put out there? Because you know, at the end of the day, you know, you can't have cameras on you 24 seven showing all sides of you, even sides that you wish were out there. Yeah. I, I'm, it's not frustrating at all. I, I, I'm not frustrated by like the perception you guys see about me on social is very much me. It's just a side of me. Right. Um, do I want people to see the other side of me? Uh, I mean, I think I do still lead that there's gonna be a lot with my new opening coming up you'll see like the the chef side of me which is gonna be exciting but yeah like i think anyone anyone puts stuff out on in the world cannot be frustrated because one they're putting it out to the world it's like it's on them it's a controllable thing if you're frustrated by it then don't put it out there um but two like at the end of the day it is still who you are you know like i really I, i really enjoy the content we put out you know, I really do. I love the community we're building. Um, I love the challenge of cooking with whatever people have in their kitchens. I love the running content. Like, I just love running. So, like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not frustrated, but I think it's more like the misconception that people do have in general around um, maybe the capacity of what my team and I do, if that makes sense. How have you personally dealt with comparison specifically within the arena of trying to grow yourself and grow your business and and grow your personal brand? Because I feel like even the people who are like the highest on social media have the highest numbers. They're still comparing themselves to other people. It's just like an innate human thing that we compare ourselves to others. And, you know, I'm sure you've made incredible dishes, but then it comes across your head like so-and-so probably made this better, right? So how have you dealt with that in your own personal life? So it's a balance, man. You got to have this, you know, I want this understanding of, as I said, I have high expectations. So, you know, I like the idea of pioneering, not following. So like I'm always talking about like anytime we've pioneered something, started something ourselves and done original stuff, it's realistically been, it's always been cooler, especially when we get the result that like the audience sees it. So, which is also very true to me. Um, but I think you do, there's people you look up to and aspire to 
not be like, but like be in the same vein of impact. I always say like, we go like, well, if this person's doing this, we can do this to impact, right? Which is always what it's leading towards. But in saying that, I don't, I don't compare myself to anyone. I think there was a, I used to, without a doubt, like I used to be like in that thing, oh, this person does blah, blah, blah. Now it's kind of like, well, I don't know anyone who's, you know, a chef of one of New York, one of the, America's best hotel groups um, is, has a digital presence, has a TV presence and a cookbook, right? So like if my vein is like I'm using all that to be for a greater good of positive impact on, you know, society with teaching people the right nutrition, removing food waste, increasing the amount of people that um, can be fed for a cheaper cost. Like if that's what I have to do to be that, then that's awesome. So like I think to your point, it's not about comparison. It's about being inspired, but then using yourself to still drive and be a pioneer. And that's how I feel about it. Kind of in a similar line of thinking, do you struggle with always wanting more or always wanting to achieve the next thing? Because every runner knows the feeling of crossing the finish line and knowing they maybe could have shaved one or two seconds at this point or you know in three months when i attack that next race you know i'm gonna go faster i want to go faster i'm sure it's similar you know as a chef with you make a really good dish but then your mind's thinking to like how can i do it better next time how do you work on being satisfied with your work but also not being like so satisfied that you get complacent yeah dude uh i think it's really important you cherish your wins and be satisfied Again, a massive learning that I've had to do. Like I would go through times and be like, I just did this awesome show or I cooked this dish or I did this race and we did this, we achieved this. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, next thing. And I was like, wow, really? You know, like, don't get me wrong. As I said, I've got, as I said, I've got really high expectations, you know, for my team, for myself, because I really feel if you give me the ability to impact um, I'm going to use it for the greater good. You know, I've, my mom and dad brought me up that way. So I've always got that North star in sight. But in saying that, every time we get a little win, I make sure I cherish it. You know, like when we hit 100K on YouTube, like I cherished it so well with my my friend, my team, right? I really did. And then on top of that, now we're like, then we, we moved on, but like I really cherished it every day. I was like, wow, we did that. That was really, really cool. You know, it's like getting a book deal or signing a really cool agreement like a restaurant or achieving a success in a race. You know, I think it's so important. It's so important that you do that, man. You're so important that you cherish your wins because if you don't, you're really going to like if, – if you don't cherish your wins, you got to let the little things you – got, you got to – the way we put it is essentially like celebrate the small things because even the big things become more exciting. Let me say that again because I had someone try to call me. Let me do that again. Um, sorry, he keeps trying to call me. Hang on a second. No, you're good. Do not disturb. Uh, I was just saying, the most important thing is, bro, celebrate the small things because that makes the big things all the more awesome. And you do that for your friends too. Make sure you cheerlead for your friends. Like my friend just did a cookbook launch in New York and I was like, I'm going to be there. Uh, my friend just got a promotion, I'm going to be there. You're like, you want to celebrate your friend's wins because as much as we all don't admit it, we actually do love when our friends support us. And I just think that is one of the coolest things ever. So 
this is the one thing I would love as podcast is someone can think about what their friend's winning right now and maybe go and support them. Go buy them a coffee, a drink, or just go, go, go give them a high five, give them a call, send them a text, wherever it is. Just let them know that you're, you're so stoked for their wins. Maybe it's just the people I'm around uh, in my perception of the world. But something I've been thinking about the past few months is just how chronically undercomplimented humans are. Uh, do you believe that's the case? And I don't know, maybe just speak on that aspect of like, you know, from your journey of trying to get to the top, how much it meant. I don't know this for a fact, but like how much it meant when someone sent you a message or a positive email or one of your friends reached out and was like, how can I help you? Or I'm proud of you. Um, I just feel like in society today, you know, we're so caught up in our own world that a lot of, a lot of the time we don't take the time to, to compliment each other for the incredible work we're doing. So do you feel like we're chronically under complimented or, or not really? Yeah, cool. I got an, I'm going to answer that question. Also remind me to talk about what you said at the start about climbing to the top. All right. So I'll come back to that. Uh, the absolute answer is a hundred percent chance per chance. we do not celebrate wins. We do not support, um, and each other enough. Like I admit it's even worse in Australia than it is in America. In America, I actually, my, my friends relatively like support success. Like they, well, my friends really do, but like, I know generally speaking, not a lot of people do. It is the most underrated thing for our health. Like it really is. I think just other than sleep, like I, I really, I cannot tell you how good it feels like on a regular basis to have a group of friends that like, when you put in a group chat, like just a little update here, blah, blah. blah and they're like, fuck yeah, dude, that's so cool. Like, I think people should be more open to that. If your friend did something good, it's not just like a high five as well. It's like, well, it is, but look them in the eye, give them a handshake and be like, be so intent in the way that you say, hey, this is a massive deal. Congratulations. We just had a friend who she is like, first and foremost, such a cool chick. Aussie, incredible woman, bubbly, fun, but so smart. And she's done incredible things with like health and, you know, breast, breast cancer research. She just completed a PhD. She's been working on this role for, um, in Australia. So she'd been living in New York for about a year. Anyway, she recently got this role and she told us all. And because we know how much it meant to her, it was like the talk of the, the, the period of time that she was still in the country. And we adored her for it. We were so stoked. We high-fived her. We were like getting around her. We just, every conversation was just like, we we're just so wrapped for her. Now, imagine if that person told us and we didn't do that. She had to keep that to herself. And she's so proud of herself, but she didn't know she could be proud of herself. You know, like support your mates and let them know they've won. It's such an easy thing to do. And it is so incredible in this day and age, how much a text means to somebody. Like just like thinking about even just, you know, so often people are reaching out to text people for something. How about you text them not to say something and how about you text them not for something but just to say hi or you're thinking of them. I got a text from a mate the other day just saying, hey, dude, I, don't, I haven't spoken to you in a while. I just want to let you know I've seen from afar how things are going and it's just so exciting and I couldn't be happy for a nice person. Didn't want anything. You know, people want a lot from this, this, this position, right? They do, they come after you, you know, they, they want to use you, they want to use your friends to get a message like that to me was so awesome. So text your friends, say hi, even if you don't, there's nothing going on, just say you're thinking about them and also support your mates for success. Now, Dom, you said something earlier. It was like, you think, you say like, I can't remember if you said, 
what's it like getting to the top or climbing to the top? What'd you say? Do you remember what you said? Not really, but I do kind of have a question that relates to that. And maybe then you could speak cool. to that point. Um, yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. So everyone sees what you've accomplished. And quite frankly, if I have you back on the podcast in 10 years, I'm sure we'll look back on this conversation and you'll be like, wow, you know, I've, I've come a long way since that podcast. So the climb <laughs> has not stopped, but I'm curious. I'm always curious about, you know, like th- the climb there because everyone sees the result, but they don't see the journey to get there in the hard moments. And I love the saying like, an overnight breakthrough takes a thousand nights in the dark. But there's another uh, saying that a podcast guest actually said a month or two ago, and he said, so often we rush through ordinary moments waiting for the promise that extraordinary moments have to offer. And only in hindsight do we realize that those ordinary moments sometimes hold the most meaning. So I'd love to hear about you talk about your kind of climb to the top, as well as was there a specific ordinary moment you think back to the most that seemed very ordinary in the moment? But looking back on it now has like a sense of extraordinariness in terms of your climb to the top. Yeah, dude, this this is a this is actually in parallel with the learnings and, and making mistakes, right? And when when we say climb to the top, I feel like I'm at the start of whatever three stops before base camp is on Mount Everest. Just want to make that clear for everyone listening. So my position of where I'm at right today, if you guys think I'm near to the top, I'm like I, I haven't even put my my cold suit on. I probably just got off the plane in Nepal. Like I'm still I'm still like that far down. That's that's how far I want to climb. So I appreciate you know the support, Dom, and anyone listening here who knows what we've done. But we got a lot of, lot of things to impact. Um, but yeah, man, like all the time, this is so important. It's like if you're visualizing, if you have a goal, if anyone's got a goal, achieving something, whether it be a weight goal, maybe a lifting goal, professional goal, whatever it is. If you're so intent on making that goal, I need you to visualize yourself right now achieving that. So just give yourself a second, close your eyes, thinking about you getting that email to say you you know got the promotion or you crossed that line that time or whatever it is that makes you feel as if you've achieved your goal. Now, the reason why I want you to do that is I want you to feel what it's like to actually be in that present moment. If you feel awesome and amazing, then that's one truly what goal you're looking for. Number two, I want you to think of what's going to be next. Not in the sense that you have to achieve something, but like, are you going to continue to feel this way for an endless period of time? Because that's the question. Going back to what you said earlier, if you can find satisfaction in your learnings throughout that period of time, whether it be the training for, say, a marathon or whatever it is that you're doing, you're going to get more out of it particularly once you finish because once you finish there's the high for about a day and a half or maybe a week and unless it's truly the goal you're looking for for you internally a lot of that can then be unfortunately like oh short-lived so it's so important that you you really enjoy the battles the battles the trenches we often hear about you know, the workers who talk about the time they're in the trenches working and then they're like big dogs, uh, whatever he or she's doing. And they talk about the fun times. It's like, it's true. You look back on these times. And for me, it's the same as like when I was working in kitchens for like 90 hours a week earning paid like no money. And you're like, oh my God, this is so shit. But then you look back on it now and you go, fuck, that was actually kind of fun. The shit that we got to do is incredible. So like, it's all relative. But if you... You firstly cherish the moments that you're, le- that you're learning. Like you really do look at failures and learnings like from the right perspective. And then when you do win, make sure you, you support and win and, 
and actually hold on to that win. Like people can't see it. I'm holding my 100K YouTube plaque right now. When I get my gold at some point for the million, I'm not going to just let that 100K go by. That was a cool moment for us. You know, like we're going to hold on to that. We're going to hold the mill and then we'll go eventually. We'll set a tone for the next one, but we'll know proudly. I'll look at that every single day and be like, we did that as a team. So, so important. You learn from mistakes, enjoy the journey that you're on because you'll get so much out of it if you do. And once you do win, cherish the win for as long as you can and never forget it. Never forget it. What's a part of your journey or maybe a moment within your journey that you feel like gets overlooked but was absolutely necessary to achieve the success you have? Hmm. Oh, I do. I got, I got a few. Uh, first one comes to mind was Charlie Street, like opening a restaurant in New York City um, off the back of no cash was pretty hard and we did it. You know, we held it for four or five years and I think it's overlooked even me initially of like how hard that was and how we went through COVID <laughs> and then after COVID and the success we had, like, you know, the community we built, the learnings I understood. Like I'm now you know, got a new role, an amazing like opportunity for me. Um, it's, it's a perfect role for me in my next step in my career, but I wouldn't be able to have that without the learnings that I had at Charlie Street. Straight up, man. You've talked about leading teams a few times in this conversation. I'm always curious to talk to, to leaders and we're all leaders in our, in our own right, but specifically a, a leader of your caliber. What do you think makes a good leader and what are attributes of the most successful leaders you've been around? So I think leadership is, um, you know, it's, it's definitely an innate thing. Like there's different types, as you said, of leadership, Like you got the leader of like, I'm going to go into battle. I'm going to follow that dude, you know, then there's the leaders who are kind of like, you know, stoic and, you know, they're still in people like, will just see what they do and comments be like intimidated by them if they don't do what they're told. So like, there's different ways of looking like you look at Bill Belichick from, from the, uh, from the Patriots stoic leader. Like you don't want to cross him. Then you look at like, I don't know, the movie 300 and, uh, you know, that leader, like, whoa, you're like, you would probably die for him. Um, not actually, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like I'd, I'd, I'd probably kick some dudes over and want to, want to, you know, throw a sword around. But I think uh, a good attribute of a leader is one who leads by example, always great communicator. So is open and willing to show they are vulnerable and makes mistakes. So relates to their people they are leading, shows perspective as well. So it's always this idea that leadership is talking down, trickles down effect. Right now, like I've got a front of house and a back of house. I will, well, soon this is the, yeah, this will come out. When does this come out, Don, by the way? Probably like a, a week or two from now. Cool. So in a very short period of time, my the new restaurant will be announced. And I'll have a front of house team and a back of house team. Now there's usually a battle between the two of like, who's right, who's wrong, who's doing wrong. Like, you know, it's their mistakes, blah, blah, blah. So I've come into this situation and as a leader, my job is to value both equally. Because if I don't, my team's going to crumble. I also need to make sure that I have perspective. So if I hear in the back of house team and they're telling me what the front of house team does wrong and I set up in the front of house team meeting and go, you're doing this wrong. Front of house team be like, well, hang on a second, dude. You haven't even listened to our perspective. So first thing I did was last night, I listened and be like, hey guys, I just want to hear like, give me your perspective on things, what's going on. And they shared with me, I'm like, cool. Just want to let you know, like one thing that we want to work on as a team is this. Can you give me solutions as to way that you guys would suggest it? And out of that, they felt heard, you know? So as a leader, 
my job is to guide. My job is not to do everything. My, my job is to lead by example, make mistakes and be open to showing them and teaching people and then to guide people. You're, you're a quarterback, you're a coach, you're all those kind of things. But most importantly, I think a good leader is someone who does lead by example, communicates well, shows perspective and vulnerability in my perspective. Going back to the beginning of this conversation, you shared your routine and part of that was reading. You said, I think something to the extent of I love books. And I'm always shocked when I come across the statistics of just how much reading has gone down and down and down. And I could be wrong, uh, but I'm almost positive that I think the statistic is 64% of Americans didn't read a single book last year. But then on the contrary, I think like the average CEO reads like over 50 books a year, and that should tell you what, what trajectory you want to be on. Not that everyone wants to be a CEO, but I think it shows a good parallel there. Why has reading been important to you? And off the top of your head, are there a few books in your mind that have had the biggest impact on you that you could share with our audience today? Oh, dude, I, when I, I should just like, I should have this like on repeat because I'm constantly reading books. Um, and generally speaking, like, I think off the top of my head, why are they the most ones that come to mind? Let me think about that for a part. Anyway, I'll go into like, yeah, I think reading is one, it's a beautiful thing for you to do for yourself. It's a great time for you. It's chill, relaxing. You can choose fiction, you can choose nonfiction, but it's a great time for you. It's a great way to learn. You know, like I really do believe it's a great way to learn. It also separates you from maybe the industry you're in to give you some respite. So I love reading because it's for me. <clears throat> I, I told you at the start, I love learning. It's a great way to learn. It's a really good way to learn. I love, um, you know, doesn't have to be related to food or fitness. I just love learning about life. So there's always that. And yeah, do it for me, learning. Uh, and it's a great form of somewhat meditation. And, you know, Maverick Maverick enjoys me reading with him. So it's pretty, really cool. So I think that's so important for me. It's a great part of my morning routine. <clears throat> the other thing is um, it also, it, it, it gets my brain going. It really stimulates my brain, which is great. So books I currently, well, I've always read this. I think The Talent Code's great. Talent Code's amazing book. Um I think why we sleep has had a profound impact on my life. I always recommend that one for sure. Um, I would say, what was a book I read recently that was absolutely phenomenal? Oh my God, what's the name of it? I would say another one would be um, Ottolenghi's, like all of Ottolenghi's cookbooks. I think they're phenomenal. Like they're picture book readings, but like I, I think that to me is still a book. So really impacted by his cooking style for sure. Uh, Shoe Dog, I think everyone loves Shoe Dog. That story is so sick. If you haven't read Phil Knight's Shoe Dog, go check that one out. Um, and then I'm I'm currently reading this book here, which is called Herding Tigers. I wouldn't say it's the most, uh, it, would, it wouldn't make my top five, but I think it's a short list because what it does is it, it talks to you about, if you're, if you're a leader leading creatives, it can be super helpful, like really, really helpful. So, um, yeah, I would say that, man. Like they're they're pretty. There's a lot more, like fiber fueled, all right, and gut health. Like Simon Simon Hills, um, plant proof. Oh, the proof is in the plants is an amazing book too. So, yeah, a number there for you guys to go check out for sure. Predominantly, our listeners are like under the age of 22, so we have a younger audience. I'm curious, mm -hmm. from all of your perspective and wisdom that you've kind of gained over the years. What is something that you wish you could have gone back 
in time to to that 18-year-old Dan, 22-year-old Dan, and told him that you think our, our listeners and our audience can find benefit from that advice that you would have given to your younger self? Yeah, the younger self, I would always say is like, stay your path for me. Like I always say, stay your path and trust in your gut. Because like, I'm, I, people are like, what would you change? I get that question, why would you change? I wouldn't change a thing. I really wouldn't. I don't want to change the way that I've learned. I want to change the mistakes I've made. I love every mistake I've made. If I if I missed out on mistakes, I wouldn't have this wealth of experience up here. Um, so I would say I wouldn't change any experiences. What I would say is like, yeah, continue to trust your gut. You know, I've always been like someone trusts my gut. And I mean that with like everything from business to friendships to you know, relationships, like everything. Um, when I met my, my girlfriend, Milena, like it was based on a gut reaction. I hadn't seen anyone in eight years. And I was like, saw this girl. My gut, gut was telling me, you got to go speak to her, right? And so the same thing with um, opportunity with life. And I've always wanted to position myself with a certain um, vision. And I'm, I'm trusting my gut the whole way. And I will say that if, you know, I knew this at the time and I got given the same advice, same me. He's like, no one's going to care about what you want to do more than you. So at the end of the day, it's like you're you're the only one who's going to get things done as much as you want to. It, it's, it's a really tough thing to hear, but so true. It does not mean that you can't build a team around you. I've got an incredible team. I'm not saying that my team don't care about the stuff that I do, but I'm 100% me. I'm 100% vision to my goal. And as much as they care about what my goal is – they're still not 100% me. And that's the same for everybody. There's no one in this world that would be like, oh, I have the same as Mr. Beast or I've got the same as, I don't know, um, uh, like if someone's working on Michael Jordan's team or whoever it is, I'm like, I want exactly his guy. You know what I mean? It's not the same. So just be okay with that and and build around passion. Build around passion. I saw a question the other day, so I'm stealing it from someone else, but I thought it'd be a, an interesting question that I'm very curious to hear your response on. Um, so the question that I came across is, what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? I mean, there's cooking techniques I've seen that I wouldn't do, um, but we go into detail now, just more around like food wastage and stuff like that that I just don't want to implore. I think in general, people make you follow a generic plan without making you too specific to you. You got to remember you're you. There's no one else like you. No one knows your gut like you. No one knows your body like you, the way you move, the way you think, the way you sleep, everything. So I think the most important thing is when someone gives you advice, make sure you still treat it by individually to you. Because I think we commonly don't do that. A lot of people, particularly at a young age, follow um, what their friends are doing, which makes sense. And I was as well. But just remember to act on your behalf and not someone else's. So if someone wins something, gets, gets a win because if they did something themselves, it doesn't mean that you're going to be doing the same thing, nor does it mean you can't do even better. But I'm just saying that like, make sure you treat yourself individually. You look at your gut the same way. You look at the way you move the same way. Um, it's so important that you are respectfully thinking about yourself individually, I would say. A question I ask a lot of my guests at the end of every show, uh, and they're predominantly runners or like, you know, Olympic track runners, NCAA champions. So generally the question will be something to the extent of before you hang up the spikes, what are some things you want to accomplish within the sport for you, even though you're a runner and I'm sure we could talk about things you want to accomplish in running before your knees give out on you or whatever it is. Uh, I'd love to talk about it from like a life perspective or a chef perspective. So I guess uh, the correct term would be like, uh, what do you want to accomplish before you hang up the apron or, or take off the, the chef's hat, whatever it is. Yeah, dude. Um, I want to build kitchens in third world countries. 
to help actually teach them the skill of cooking as opposed to providing them food. Um, I also want to get to a position where I can influence like the government positively with the nutritional standards that we are putting out just to help kids. And I want to find a way to make kids eat for free at schools that are nutritionally viable. So if I can achieve those things, awesome. One final serious question for you, Dan. What is one final message you want to leave with our audience today? And maybe like this is like two questions that you could merge into one. That's like part one. And then part two would be, uh, what is something you think our audience can learn from you about your story that you want them to take away? Yeah, I, I think they kind of relate to each other. But I said it earlier, trust your gut. Like your gut is something that it won't lie to you. And your gut generally has a direction uh, correlation with your brain. It's the second brain. So trust your gut. All right. Um, that's exactly what I've done. Every single thing, the decision I've made and action I've taken is related to my gut. So I listened to my gut and I took action. So often you'll find that people are still waiting for the right time to do something. You know, like I said, I was going to move to America. I eventually got there. I said, I was going to open up a restaurant. I did that. I said, I was going to make a studio kitchen below my restaurant and build a YouTube following. I did that. And I'm not saying that in the sense of, look what I did. I'm just saying the reason why I did these things was because I backed myself and I took action. Every time you go to, you put your head on that pillow and you think of all the amazing things that you're inspired to do, what's it going to take you to actually do them? It's not someone else. It's you. So just take action. Do it. I love the saying and it puts it perfectly as to what you were saying. One day or day one, you decide. And every time I hear that, I'm like, it's so good. Um, Dan, I ask this question to every single guest on the podcast at the end of every show. It's the only question that stays in every podcast. And you're the person who I'm most excited to ask it because you're the only like professional chef I've ever had on. And you'll, you'll get a kick out of this question. So the question I ask every guest to close out every episode is if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over to your house for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? Fuck. Um, I'm not going to do his beef Wellington. This is too easy. Honestly, bro, I, I'd cook from the heart and I would make, I would make my spaghetti bolognese from scratch and like everything from the pasta, from the way they do the meat sauce, the red sauce, the sourcing of the Parmesan, the basil, everything. And I think it's just a story. If you're going to cook for someone and you're going to put it on a plate in front of you, you're going to make sure that they truly understand who you are. And that's what we got here with, with this one. So um, it's also my last meal. It's the last meal I've ever had first in my life. Um, so you never know. We'll work on getting Gordon Ramsay around for dinner and doing that for sure. <laughs> well, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, learning from you this past hour. Appreciate it. Always here to support you in all your endeavors and can't wait to, to see you. You said you're at base camp. Can't wait to see you start to, to climb Everest and, and hear for you along the way. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it, man. And, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to support it, make sure you leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, Type something in. How good was this podcast? What did you learn? And share it wherever you are, wherever you feel comfortable on socials because Dom is an example of what great interviewing is and he's doing amazing stuff in the space. So thank you, Dom. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I don't take your time for granted, and I hope that today's episode impacted you and left you walking away inspired and all the more motivated to chase after your biggest goals and walking away a better version of yourself. Make sure you're following the podcast, have given us a five-star review, and consider sharing with a friend. 
through that we can reach new people and hopefully inspire them in the process. Also make sure you're following us on social media at The Running Effect to stay up to date on all the exciting projects and all the new episodes coming out. Generally we release two to three episodes per week so stay tuned for all of those coming your way shortly. I hope you're running and life is going well. Guys keep chasing mastery and I will catch you in next episode.